Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hello and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from Radiotimes.com. I'm your host, Rob Lean, and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is Ant Farley, the design manager on Football Manager, the long-running simulator franchise which is launching its 2024 edition this week. As well as telling us about his life in gaming so far, Ant even gave us some interesting insights on Football Manager, including the fact that some of the developers have snuck themselves into the game. Without further ado, let's load up that conversation. Well, Anne, thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy life at the moment, I'm sure, to come and speak to us about Football Manager and about your life with gaming. And I'd always like to kind of start right back at the beginning. What are like your kind of earliest gaming memories of yours, like those kind of first kind of formative early experiences for you? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, firstly. Um, my first gaming memories were with an Amiga 600. So way, way back, and it was, you know, it was the keyboard, the floppy disks, uh, no hard drive, and the family got one for Christmas. It was a kind of shared gift between me and my siblings, and there was, you know, the usual squabbling that goes alongside that when you're very young. But early games were platform-heavy for the most part. There was a game called Alfred Chicken, which is very, very popular in my household and still referenced to this day. We all talk about Alfred Chicken a lot. And <laughs> what is Alfred Chicken? So it was it was one of those platformers you played as a little chicken and, you know, you had a jump and dive and peck with your beak mechanic, but it was the platformer we had and it's the one that we, you know, fell in love with. So there's, you know, taking turns on the joystick and we never beat it. We never got far enough to get to the final boss and I think there's part of uh, all of my siblings that you know have that regret in us that we never got to see how <laughs> it ended and there's a Thunderbirds game for the Amiga 600 again which keeps me up at night to this day four levels and I only ever got to level three you know because <laughs> it was no hard drives or anything you couldn't save your progress so it's all password based you had to unlock the password for the next level never got there and it was pre-internet so I couldn't just look it up and see what that level was all about but uh, yeah Big, big regrets. But then football side, there was um, Kickoff 2, which was, you know, one of the very primitive football games, you know, very 2D joystick, run through the whole team, press the trigger, score the goal. I wasted so many hours on that as a, <laughs> as a youngster. So, yeah, that was my very, very formative gaming memories for sure. And who were you kind of playing with in those early days? Were there like friends or family members that really kind of got you into gaming or anything like that? As I say, my, my siblings, but it wasn't so much uh, playing with as kind of battling to play instead of them uh, <laughs> quite often. So, yeah, there wasn't a lot of two-player games going on. We did have James Pond. Oh, yeah. Is that a franchise that resonates? The, uh, you know, the wiggle the joystick track and field type game with uh, aquatic creatures. Um, there's a bit of competitiveness around that, the 100 meter splash and uh, there's a trampoline in on sea sponges, uh, as I recall. So yeah, an awful lot of that with, with my siblings. But then, you know, as you get a bit older, get to school and you're starting to kind of bond with your pals. And yeah, it was then football games and football manager, obviously massive, massive part of that when it came to that shared gaming experience growing up. Do you remember like some of your early 
football manager or championship manager saves and like some of any players or teams you're obsessed with absolutely yeah i'm lucky that there's there was uh, three of us now two of us at the studio that went to school together actually and kind of grew up and bonded over the game so we had you know our homework diaries were just full of our team lineups and um it was the era of then champ man where sweden was a real hotbed of under 21 talent in that moment so the Kim Kalstroms and the Kennedy Bakasia glues these types of players were very very important to all of us there's one particular year where Rushton and Diamonds was a very very interesting save a team that has gone out of existence now but they were kind of very well funded for their level and you could buy some real wonder kid gems for Rushton and Diamonds and really have quite a shortcut to that uh, rags to riches tale that you know, football manager players absolutely love. You could take them from the bottom all the way right up to the top leagues and Rushton Diamonds was a big save for me. Charlton Athletic, I remember a Charlton Athletic save where I ended up with a central midfield pairing of Cesc Fabregas and Andre Iniesta because <laughs> they were, you know, the unknowns in the Barcelona Academy at that moment and, you know, they turned out great for Charlton and in real life. So, yeah, big save for me, that one too. Yeah, shame enough I went to Charlton in real life. That would have been good. <laughs> would have been good to witness. No, Clive Mendonca would have, uh, would have been really banging them in if he had those two feeding them. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because sometimes memes will pop up and it'll be someone who doesn't play football manager being like, this is what people like. This is just spreadsheets mm-hmm. and emails and stuff. It's like, it's actually, it's, it's a big part of it. It's about like those weird stories that you kind of piece together yourself right absolutely yeah it, i mean it is we're simulating a job right and there's an element of that that sometimes looks and feels a bit like a job i think to the kind of uninitiated but it's about emergent narrative it's about that kind of theater of the mind very often and for me it's a story generator relationship story generator right you know you build those relationships with your players you know there's players in real life that I have a lesser opinion of because of something that's happened (laughs) in football manager and vice versa right Um, you know teams you start looking out for because you had a really good save with them Um, and yeah for me that's that's the reason why it resonates with people you know the the detail uh the reality the you know simulation element i don't think there's anyone that comes close to us you know we are a very very realistic simulation of football management but for me the thing that really gets its teeth into people is those those stories those emergent narratives you know the trials and tribulations that go in real world football are happening in the game right and everyone's got stories that plays with this where you've got that uh one team you just never beat and, you know, then when you finally do, it means something and it really resonates and you get that kind of real world feeling out of the kind of thing that's going on in your head and on the screen. So, yeah, it's a storyline generator for me as much as anything else. Nice, nice. And how did it go that you and several of the other guys from your school ended up working on it? That seems like a nice story in itself. Yeah, well, I mean... It, nepotism <laughs> to some, <laughs> some degree so um one of one of my friends and brothers worked for the studio in the qa department and this was back in the day when the timelines just worked out that the busiest months when you know you really need to finish and think things up coincided with the times that universities weren't there so um there was a real kind of summer intake year on year for qa help get that game finished up get it as polished as possible and you know you had to actually manufacture the disc then so it was you know hard deadline um as well so yeah we um first and foremost got roles in that position the three-month qa uh, tester jobs and all of us to varying degrees stayed on <laughs> just impressed enough to be kept around the place. We were all very passionate about the game, all passionate about making the game better. And yeah, we all kind of grew up through the studio that way. And it's quite a common 
story at Sports Interactive as well, actually. I kind of always say that if you kind of go into our office and throw a stone, you'll probably hit someone that started out in QA and kind of did the very similar pathway. So, you know, I'm by no means unique. I'm um, working in the design team now. My role is design manager. Um, we've got people in production, software engineering, management, you know, IT, comms, everywhere you look, there's people that got that foot in the door through QA testing. And that's because you need to be passionate about the game. And most crucially, you need to be really passionate about the attention to detail of the game at that point. That's where you kind of, your real nerdiness gets to shine there. You know, if the attributes aren't quite right for this player, then we need to know. Or, you know, if you feel like a transfer that's happened in game wouldn't happen in real life between AI clubs, we need to know about that. So it's that Venn diagram of being a football nerd and a kind of data game type nerd that intersects. And um, that's, I think, where people really kind of get to show their passion for the product. Yeah. I was about to ask you, then you've kind of preempted it, like what are some of the things that you would kind of spot in a, in a QA role on, on FM? Mm-hmm. Is it things like this player is too, <laughs> something's gone slightly wrong in the stats here and this player is now the god of all players kind of thing? Well, yeah, there's, so there's an, all, an enormous amount of balancing that's needed, right? Um, it's a game that doesn't end, right? So we need to make sure that if you play the game for 50 seasons, it's as well balanced as it is at the start. So that's a huge, huge part of the responsibility QA in um, Sports Interactive is checking things that seem sane. You might kind of get a save that's 50 years in the future and all of a sudden Ipswich are the world conquering team, right? But then it's that might be fine, you need to investigate, right? They might have got a tycoon takeover at some point. You know, there might be a reason why this has ended up that way. So there's an awful lot of that kind of long-term balancing. There's obviously all the normal games testing things, you know, right? Functionality testing, the interface, etc. And exploits is always a big one. I think people that do well in QA in Sports Interactive are sneaky cheats quite often. <laughs> and they'll be finding ways that, you know, you can withdraw your contract offer and send it again at a much lower wage and save yourself that kind of thing you can really get some value to to you know make sure that there's no exploits out there in the wild and can you speak a bit to like how much scouting goes into the game these days because i think it's a kind of a phenomenal amount right yeah huge huge amount i think we've got upwards of 1300 scouts around the world a lot of those are kind of volunteers that just are people that love their football teams and watch them week in week out they watch the youth players they watch the reserves you know they can form real solid opinions of these players Um, and then each kind of big region each territory has got head researchers that kind of help manage those uh, assistant researchers and then obviously a very robust internal team as well that sense checks that data you know we need to make sure that these uh, fans of their teams aren't necessarily inflating their abilities. Everything needs to be realistic. But yeah, it's a huge operation and it's right around the world. So that's why our data is such a kind of point of pride for us is because we know about the next superstars before the football world does so often. And we've been kind of proved right time and time again on that, right? Um, you know, we knew about Messi before the world knew about Messi is the most obvious example. But Benjamin Sesko, a player at the moment that I think scored last night in the internationals for Slovenia. He um, is not someone that would have been on most people's radar, but the people that play football manager go, oh, you yeah, know, there's this Slovenian striker that you've really got to keep an eye on. Gets a big money move and, you know, we, we, we're kind of uh, ahead of the curve with that. And there's just an enormous amount of passion and work that from a very big team that goes into that. Several points of the year, right, they're kind of just giving us the facts and figures, you know, the, the things that are inarguable, right? Names, nationalities, dates of birth, height, weight, all of that sort of stuff. But then the the more um, subjective part is really interesting, you know. On a 1 to 20 scale, how fast is this player? How good are they at finishing? How, you know, what's their decision making like? And that 
comes from watching football. It comes from being passionate about football. That's how we harvest that. There's so much crossover now as well, right, with actual real-life teams and real-life players being very like mm-hmm. aware of, of the stats in the game. Can you speak a bit about how the football world uses FM? Yeah, well, I mean, we know that teams use our data to make transfer decisions, right, at the, the kind of at high levels. There are deals that get done because they kind of see players in the game, they trust our data, they know our data is reliable and they you know, put their effort into then, you know, making deals happen for those players and the players themselves have got opinions as well um, there's you know a quite a wide cohort of footballers that do play the game they help us make it realistic right they help us make it accurate they'll give us feedback and yeah miles our studio director i think he feels an awful lot of why am i only 15 for pace <laughs> you know i know that i can beat this guy in training in a race <laughs> why should i be less than him um but it's all good it's all valuable feedback right it helps us make that really realistic title that then means that we're part of the football world as well as the gaming world we're trusted within the industry yeah it's so satisfying as a player when you see like you say, a player that you know from FM suddenly makes it in the real world. I remember back in like my school days, everyone had Casper Schmeichel in mm-hmm. their club. So it was like obviously because of the Peter Schmeichel connection, but it was like everyone had him at pretty much any level. You could you could get him because he was really young at the time, and then just to see him go up and up and up, it's like yeah, we were right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you get to feel smug about it, and who doesn't like feeling smug? <laughs> yeah. On the flip side of it, you get those players and the legendary. I think this was Champ Man era, but the one that springs to mind is uh, Tonton Zola Makoko. Mm-hmm. I nearly got a t-shirt with his name on to wear today. <laughs> but um, And stuff like that, even when it's like, oh, that player never quite became the, you know, 20s all over yeah. the board kind of thing. And it's it's still interesting and memorable, even if even when it doesn't work out, right? 100%, yeah. We were really fortunate, actually. Tonton came and um, played a game with us uh, for a book on Football Manager that came out and I, I remember thinking it was down on the local five-a-side pitches of our old office and it's like oh, Tonton Zola Makoku's playing and he um, I remember he, there was a penalty and obviously Tonton stepped up to take it and he made a real mess of it actually <laughs> and it was quite good to witness but he himself he said that he didn't have his the focus wasn't there he had everything that was needed you know all the raw attributes physically he's very fast very strong you know, good finisher but he didn't have the dedication needed by his own kind of admission so you know where we have gotten wrong in the past there's always some kind of a reason you think as well you kind of see happens in real football time and time again very very highly rated youngsters that don't make the grade I think that's a testament to as much of the mental side of it as it is the the ability side that we try and model as well and uh, in terms of where you're at now can you tell me a bit about your job and what you're kind of working on for FM 24 and 25 you've announced as well, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting time for the studio. Um, we're doing two games at once and it's, uh, you know, it's it's challenging. It's very hard work at the moment, but it's very exciting. Um, 24, we're really considering a love letter to Football Manager, right? This is the last version of this kind of football manager before the big bold new horizon with 25 so my role as i mentioned is in the design team so i manage the group of creatives that are working on new features for the game and the remit this year really was let's take what we've got and make it as good as we possibly can some of those areas that might have been a bit underloved we've been able to put a lot of focus into uh, set pieces being one that i think will go down very well with the community and it's really about making it the best possible last version of Football Manager before we get this, you know, brave new world with 25 that we've spoken about and the uh, change of game engine and the kind of upgrading 
visual fidelity that's going to give us a whole new interface which is an awful lot of work for my team at the moment you know we've got hundreds and hundreds of screens that we need to kind of write in a new visual language right and it's really exhilarating actually it's it's going to be a genuine sequel and i think that is giving the studio a lot of kind of energy but there's a lot of work to do as well (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things like when you're not like myself, I'm not a very like technically minded person. You're like, well, how much difference will being on a different engine make? But I imagine it will be like a completely different. When you open it, it won't look the same as it looks now, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can't say too much, but I'm really excited by the direction we're going. I think we're going to make it really robust, easy to use, less daunting experience. I think Football Manager fans know and love Football Manager, but I think we're all quite aware that it's quite a daunting experience for new players. You're kind of given the keys to the castle straight away and you're like, right, here you go, here's a whole world, go and engage with it as you will, which is our selling point, right? It's a kind of, it's weirdly a game that's indifferent as to whether you're actually playing it. You know, we're simulating a world that's going on around you, but that doesn't necessarily make for that friendly a first-time experience. So this is a really big opportunity for us to kind of put some thinking into that and to address that. But it's going to be, you know, the visual uplift is going to be really exciting as well. I think, you know, um, fans that will have read the blog announcing this, we know that the game's graphics aren't where we want it to be. And this change of engine is going to really help us make it look fantastic. I mean, they've already come a long way, though, since the days of just the text flashing up on the screen. But on... 25 that's when you're going to add in women's football as well right yes yep uh, again an enormous amount of work goes into it we we wanted to do it properly and we put a blog out a little while ago now announcing that we were doing this and that we wanted to do it properly and i think that um people are going to realize what that means right the level of detail to which we simulate the men's game we need to be doing the same for the women's game we need to be doing it justice so we're talking to a lot of people in the women's game to kind of help us on that journey getting a lot of insight from some real big names and yeah the whole aim is to make it not a mode not a kind of hey women's football manager it's football manager football is football right so it needs to be simulated alongside the men's game um which is going to be you know really complicated to implement in a lot of ways but yeah it's a a challenge that's excited us all that's interesting because i in my head i'd had it as a separate thing but it's going to be actually both are running at the same time yeah. and you can go from one to the other absolutely kind of yeah we and we you want to be Phil Neville. It. exactly <laughs> you can be phil neville right um and uh the forest green uh caretaker whose name escapes me at the moment i must admit but um yeah they appointed female manager as, a, as an interim recently i know a couple of years ago we put emma hayes in the game with the possibility of her taking jobs in the men's game because we all think that's where it's headed right there's amazing talent in the women's game that will move to the men's game and vice versa right so we want to make sure that it's future-proofed it may be that there isn't much activity at the moment between the two but that isn't going to be the case for long we don't think so it's really important to make sure that this is foundational work that really helps us model realistically for the next 10 20 30 years that's so cool and is it challenging for you and other people who are going out talking about what you're doing at the moment to bring it back to 24 and not get too like deep like what are the things about 24 that you don't don't forget about 24 like? yeah no honestly no um i think there's an element of that that on paper you'd think well this next thing sounds really cool about the one that's coming out soon but as i said this is the love letter this is what we're really putting our effort into making it as good an experience as you can have and and people have got their favorite versions of cm and fm and i think in each case those favorite ones are very often the last thing before we make a big change right the last version before we brought in a 2d match engine 
was hugely popular. And again, the last version we bought, before we bought in the 3D match engine was hugely popular. And that's because in the studio, we knew there was this big thing on the horizon and we really put all our efforts into, well, we still need to make a really great game this year. So as I say, set pieces is something that I think will really excite a lot of our players. We know that it isn't necessarily where we've wanted it to be. So there's a, a lot more granularity, a lot more control, a lot more complexity for those that want it. But also for those that don't, we've we've got a really kind of robust creator flow that lets you just kind of set and forget if that's the way you'd like to engage with it. The real nerds will be absolutely delighted by the work we're doing with the AI squad building keeping that level of challenge up as the game progresses long term right I think um, you know if you're someone that plays 15 20 seasons there is a kind of feeling that it gets a bit easy as it goes you've got more ability to craft a long-term squad than the AI in some cases so we've really put some efforts into making sure that AI transfer decision making is really up to scratch and they're kind of thinking long term with the way that they approach building a squad and then there's just kind of as there is every year there's so many little quality of life improvements that I couldn't really even list but they're the sort of things that you kind of notice as you play and go oh yeah that's made life a, an awful lot easier and I didn't even realize it was a problem in the first place um big part of my job is managing our kind of library of ideas is how I refer to it which is very democratic. We field ideas from within the studio and from outside the studio, and they all sit in a massive database for us to kind of pick up and schedule and turn into cool new features. And that sits at around 7,000 tickets at the moment. Right. Wow. So we've got a big library. Some of them are tiny, real, small quality of life improvements. Example I always give is one of my favorite features we've done in the last few years was a little toggle on the tactic screen that was make changes for this game only or just make them full stop, right? And again, it sounds, it's one of the least glamorous things to go out and sell, but it's a game changer. The amount of times I used to kind of, oh, I've got a big match coming up, better go a bit defensive and then forget. And then all of a sudden I'm very defensive in the match where I wanted to be attacking really changed the way I play the game. Yeah, or like you've swapped in all your, you had like a Carabao Cup game or something, you weren't too fussed about, so you swapped in all the kids and then you accidentally put them out against City the next week. Yeah, Yeah. so that, that would be, you know, a ticket in the library, but then, add women's football into football manager is a ticket as well right <laughs> so um we we really try and think about the quality of life improvements as as important as the big you know shiny back of the box features as well that's the way we kind of approach the scheduling of the game and miles our creative director is very very passionate about that what's important to one cohort of players might be completely uninteresting to another we need to make sure that there's plenty there for everyone i think we've we've hit that nicely with 24 this year and in terms of people who are picking up 24 for the first time pretty soon have you got any kind of tips and tricks you'd recommend or things you should do first but I guess everyone kind of approaches it differently right yeah absolutely it's always fascinating to hear how people spend that first hour of their game first two hours of their game it was always a uh, very interesting interview question actually when we took in QA roles because some people will spend hours before they even hit continue and others will just want to get to a match as soon as possible but uh, in 24 I think it's about Set pieces, as I mentioned, is going to be something that you're asked about quite early on and thinking about how you want to, you know, attack, defend, and quite interestingly, the transitions as well for me. It's giving us a lot of uh, options to maybe play a more fluid counter-attacking team, how many men you're going to leave forward or players you're going to leave forward. But I always advise people to really think about the balance of their tactics and the balance of their squad early on. You've got so many options of who you want to manage and you might not know any of your players or you might have you know really good familiarity with them. But it's about as much finding out how 
good they are as what they're like as people in my opinion as well um, I'm a bit old school um, I've got a kind of self-imposed rule that I won't ever sign anyone with below 15 work rate I'd rather take a team full of untalented players who are going to run through walls for me then you know uh, some of the higher quality that I haven't got that work rate necessarily but I think that the balance of the squad and the balance of the tactics are a really really key thing to think about early and that's going to kind of really manifest itself this year around targets as well we've uh, kind of introduced a new mechanic to motivate your players I think uh, FM players would have got very used to their players making demands of them you know I want a new contract I want more first team football uh, we've really given some options for well what are you going to do for me here you know I want 15 goals from you to get that new contract or I want you to kind of be making 20 assists out on loan to get that first team football when you come back and that's going to be a really good way to judge the personalities of your players you know how motivated are they by financial? How motivated are they to just want to succeed in the game? Tells you an awful lot about the type of squad you're building, which then helps inform the type of tactics you're putting together. Nice. And do you have any recommendations or any kind of wonder kids you've particularly got your eye on, keen to sign for yourself kind of thing? It's, it's always very tricky uh, working on the game because you get to see under the hood right and you've got to resist that temptation to have a look and find out who the best wonder kids are and find out yourself so I try and be very disciplined about it uh, and I haven't looked under the hood for 24 I'm going to find out like everyone else who the uh, best wonder kids are but Benjamin Sesco as I mentioned earlier last year was one of my kind of go-to signings and he's just been snapped up by Red Bull Leipzig so he will, he'll be off the board so it's about finding those those new gems that haven't been tapped up by the real clubs just yet. And one thing I just was reminded when we were talking about starting the new game, is it this year or is it next year that you'll be able to actually bring your save from last year across with you? It's this year, yeah. Um, we've got save game compatibility this year. So one of the things we find is that people get so hooked on their save game, they're so in love with the experience they're having that they're quite reluctant to start a new game with the new version. So uh, this year you'll have the option to load in your FM23 save and convert it into an FM24 save, get all the benefit of those new features, but continue the story that you've been telling for the last kind of 12 months or so. And it's something we've wanted to do for a long time um, and it's been kind of technically very challenging. There's an awful lot of work that goes into that. Obviously the testing of that and the, the myriad of different options that are available there now, you know, save games created on all of the different versions that go out and the different update numbers that go out need to be compatible. They need to kind of make sense. The long-term balance, again, right, you know, I, I spoke about how much work goes into balancing save games. We need to put that equivalent work into making sure that old save games are as well balanced as well. So it's, um, it's been a lot of work, but I think it's something that's going to really, really go down very, very well because we've all had those saves that you just don't want to let go and now you don't have to. I love hearing people's like, how Football Manager has impacted my real life stories. I don't know if you saw, I did an interview with um, you know, James Buckley from the Inbetweeners. Oh, yeah. He was at the gaming BAFTAs and I asked him which game he'd spent the most time playing and he said Football Manager. And then he gave, kind of volunteered of his own accord this story of uh, how he had been playing Football Manager when his first child was being born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you hear all sorts of stuff like that. Have you had like any personal favourites of instances of people playing FM when maybe they should be doing other things? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I always say that it kind of ruined my education, so it's good <laughs> that it's now paying me a wage, um, and that, that goes for <laughs> a lot of people in the studio. I think um, uh, I was definitely someone who was guilty of playing FM a little bit more than doing coursework or doing revision. That's, that's certainly true. 
I don't know that I've got any particularly bad stories myself. You do sometimes, you know, if you're playing on the train, people will sit next to you and start talking about it. And then when they find out you work on it, that can lead to some kind of interesting interactions. Um, but all positive for me. I've never had any uh, any moments where it's had a detrimental effect. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Do you, do you think there's such a thing as putting too many hours into Football Manager? Or is there no upper limit to it, do you think? You know, we, we joke about it being something that really gets its teeth into you, right? And people kind of spend all their time doing it. But the important part of that is it's an escape right and um you know something that really hit home during the pandemic actually um at the studio when we got the games out during that year where everyone was kind of enforced to work from home and working out what that looked like is just how many people rely on our game for that escape from the real world it was a rough year for everyone but we did an awful lot to kind of mental health initiatives were being surfaced in games because we knew that our player base were going through rough moments and that's when you hear the kind of how important it is to people that's when you realize that you know all those hours that people put in are actually providing value you know most people unfortunately don't like their jobs right and they come home and they want to do something that makes them forget about their day and give them an escape and put them in a new world and we really give incredible value to money for that you can buy our game and just play it forever <laughs> and so we're really proud that people do you know i think we've got the highest average play times of any predominantly single player games out there by quite a distance you know people rack up hundreds and hundreds of hours on our titles and we're really really proud of that i've got one friend i think he's still playing like 0304 champ man but just <laughs> he'll play it until it gets to like I don't know, it never actually tells you to stop, does it? But it gets to the point where it becomes a bit too unrealistic in the 2050s or whatever. <laughs> and then yeah. it's like, okay, I'll start up a new save now and just do it again. Like, well, that's some, some people's, that's their sweet spot, right? Like the, A lot of people will play until the game starts getting populated with new gens and they go, right, I'm going to stop, start a new save now. They want to play with real footballers that they know. For me, my sweet spot's around six, seven seasons in where you've got, you know, half and half basically of real life players that you know coming to the end of their careers and then the new gens that you've got had a chance to kind of get excited about that's one of the most rewarding things for me my most recent save on 23 i'm with crystal palace and i had a new gen come through and fell in love the moment i saw him in my academy his name's ronnie whips which is a fantastic <laughs> name and he's a diminutive winger so ronnie whips is is five foot two right winger he's got no height, no strength, but he's got work rate, determination, and I'm going to make that boy a world beater. I, I, if it's the last thing I do, Ronnie Whips is going to be in that England team. <laughs> nice. And you talk about new gens. We talked about this briefly when we weren't recording. Can you talk a bit about like how some of the names of new gens will be names that are quite familiar to, to you and people in the office? Kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a peek behind the curtain. But yeah, we're all, um, all those of us that want to be uh, are able to add ourselves. So it will be generated in people's saves as new gens. It's funny because it does kind of break the suspension of disbelief if you're in the studio and that, you know, pacey young winger that's just come through, you happen to know is quite a lumbering centre-half in real life. But yeah, it's a nice little uh, tidbit. And we had an incredible scenario a couple of years ago where we were actually in the pub below our old office and someone overheard that we were working off on FM and got talking and it turned out that one of my colleagues was this guy's star striker and his <laughs> team. So he got to live out the dream of meeting his new gen in real life which i reckon he's probably one of the only people on the planet that that, that <laughs> applies to but yeah that was a lot of fun nice. and 
some of them like Ronnie Whips must just be there's some kind of random name generator going on in there. It's not random. It's one of the many things that an awful lot of detail goes into in actual fact. So yeah, we can really, really nerd out about this. But um, yeah, there's a system in place that names new gens based on naming conventions of their nationality commonality of those names at any given moment uh, and the level of detail we'll go into there is i think I, I should know the name of this place i think there's a region of italy where uh, anyone born there would have a german name and speak german um, and that's actually reflected in the game if you were to have a new gen uh, come through from that region there would be an italian national with a german name able to speak german so that's the level of detail we put into getting stuff like that right you know naming conventions languages uh, all of those kinds of things so yeah ronnie whips was an uh, wasn't random. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's come a long way from like, I remember back in the day, you would see like just the same player names would come up against, oh, now Rio Ferdinand's back, but now he's a striker who's 15 years old. Or something. Yeah, the old system used to be regens. That's why we, we're new gens now are newly generated. Regens were regenerated. So yeah, I mean, there was something exciting about finding out, oh, I think this one's the next Zidane, literally. <laughs> um, that was always a kind of nice moment. But I think the system we've got is uh, is much better, much more robust now. Nice, nice. In terms of pulling it back to you and your gaming life, what do you think is the game you've personally put the most hours into? And is it a particular version of, of FM that you think you've spent the most hours in? Or is there other games outside of football that you've spent loads of time with? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that I could tell which version of FM it is, but it's FM by some distance, the game I've put most hours into, both you know professionally and personally. But outside of FM... Final Fantasy VII is a game that is hugely important to me and I've replayed that many, many times. It's like a comfort food to me. But I like turn-based. It's one of the things that I kind of have, have observed. I'm not good uh, action games really <laughs> I need time to stop and think and decide what I want to do and then kind of put that into place so yeah Final Fantasy 7 was massive for the turn-based combat um, I love city builders I love city skyline big civilization fan that can really get its claws in sometime but yeah I'd say Final Fantasy 7 is definitely the title that I've gone back to the most and logged up an awful lot of hours in it nice nice do you ever play Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic? I didn't. No, it's, there's a switch port of it, which I have, and it's about finding time for it. But that's one that um, it's, I've got these blank spots, right? Of uh, I didn't have many consoles uh, growing up. We had the Amiga. And PlayStation 1 was the first console I actually owned. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the kind of, you know, the real benchmarks in turn-based um, aren't ones that I've been able to get round to and obviously there's only so many hours in the day so that's on my long backlog <laughs> yeah I think you'd like it because like, it has that turn-based combat and it's a thing that like a lot of the chat about it now is like, oh if they remake it hopefully they'll turn it into like an action game but it sounds like you might be one of the people who would prefer oh, yeah. it the original way <laughs> yeah no I mean the Final Fantasy 7 remake is something that I I literally ordered a PlayStation 4 the day that they put that trailer out uh, you probably remember then it was about seven years or something between the trailer going <laughs> out and the actual game coming out um, so I was you know so hyped for it and that was my worry it was like well, well I, I don't think they'll keep it turn-based but I'd kind of quite like it to be turn-based because that's the type of experience I want and I think they threaded the needle pretty well I actually am very very fond of the gambit system from Final Fantasy 12 is a system that I kind of talk an awful lot to designers and the team about but it's a bunch of if and rules that you'd set up in game right like if this 
person is below 50 health cast cure and all of that kind of thing and you could just spend hours setting all that up so that then when you got to battles it would just kind of take care of itself and i do think there's something quite adjacent to fm about that you know i'm setting up a plan then i'm watching it play out i'm not expected to kind of interfere and take over and actually control anyone i just want to see what's in my head executed on screen for me so yeah uh, that's the type of gamer i am i think i always say that when when the kind of action football games, you know, FIFA and Pro Evo, when they went to analog stick was where I kind of stopped being able to do it. I just like the definitism of the <laughs> D-pad was important to me. So, yeah, that's, that's I'm quite a uh, limited skill gamer. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about, like, I want to make my plan and watch it play out. It's just, but still, it is also entertaining when it doesn't play out right. I mean, I saw a thing the other day, it was someone's no-nonsense centre-back who we had told, you know, don't do anything too funky and run the length of the pitch and banged mm-hmm. one in. Like, <laughs> still... Yeah. And I, I, I've been um, I've been playing the new Zelda a lot recently, and um, one of my observations of that is it is just so fun to fail in that mm. game. When you're doing badly in a game, you want it to feel like it's your fault and not the game's fault, right? And it's the same with FM. You know, if you're doing badly in FM, it still needs to be a rewarding experience, right? Because most football teams don't win a lot, right? Um, and that's kind of a big needle to thread. But yeah, the times in Zelda where I've kind of thought, well, I'm building the perfect device to get me out of this situation. And then it's almost Looney Tunes-esque how badly it goes. <laughs> but it always feels fun. It always feels like it's something you've done wrong rather than something the game's done wrong. So yeah, that kind of uh, a failure to execute a plan, there's joy to be found there as well. Hello again. I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the RadioTimes.com gaming newsletter. Stuffed with all the latest news, reviews and explainers, this free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game. It'll arrive in your inbox every Wednesday, highlighting all the releases you need to know about along with my genuine recommendations. So if you're enjoying this podcast, head over to RadioTimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week. And now, back to the episode. I also have a few quick fire questions for you. Sure. Some of these may have touched on a little bit already, uh, but console or PC? Console. I'm a Mac user, you know, first and foremost. So, yeah, there's not many gaming options available <laughs> yeah. for me. So, yeah, <laughs> I tend to go to the consoles. Fair. Uh, solo or multiplayer? Solo, very much so. Gaming chair or sofa? Sofa by default, I think. I've never had a gaming chair. So, yeah, sofa for me. PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Yeah, I've never never owned an Xbox, so I've owned, well, I don't own a PS5 just yet, but I've owned all the Playstations, so yeah, it has to be that for me. Nice, you won't be fooled again by buying it years before the new Final Fantasy comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know, maybe, if they kind of, uh, if they put out a little trailer that, you know, for part two that really hits my nostalgia bone, then yeah, an order will be going in. (laughs) (laughs) This is maybe more of a back-in-the-day one, but uh, Nintendo or Sega? Got to say Sega, really, haven't I? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Were you a big, like, Mega Drive person or anything like that? Never owned them, no. It was always, as I say, um, PlayStation 1 was the first console I owned, and it was uh, an Amiga in the home, PC for a while in the home as well. But my friends would have, you know, the SNES and the Mega Drive, and it was envious eyes towards them rather than direct experience yeah also like having like sega as your parent company does much stuff ever filter down from them to to you guys or is it they're really hands off um yeah it's they let us make the game (laughs) and it's great um yeah really really good publisher relationship you know they have a qa team themselves that we work closely with Um, we try and work with sister studios and try and kind of share and you know learn from the other 
titles under the Sega umbrella. But yeah, they're very hands off. There's no creative influence from them. There's no, can we get Sonic in this somehow? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Again, personal preference, but you're more of a headphones or kind of sound coming out through the speakers kind of person. I think I'm a sound through the speakers person predominantly, but that might just be because I haven't given headphones a go. Mm. I watch a lot of films with headphones. Maybe I should be gaming with headphones as well. Oh, well, each each their own. And uh, say you have a kind of a whole evening ahead of you tonight to to play games. What are you kind of rushing home to finish at the moment? Yeah, I still I've got um, Tears of the Kingdom to finish. That's my sole playlist at the moment. It's really got its teeth into me. I'm not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've I've found quite late on that I need to put effort into leveling up my armor or else I'm not going to get anywhere. So I'm at the moment really trying to do that <laughs> is my... But I like playing without purpose in Zelda. That's one of the, the wonderful things about the game is you can switch it on and give yourself, well, this is what I want to achieve in this kind of hour that I've got available to me. But it's actually much better just, oh, I wonder what's over there and wander off and go and have a look. It's a, it's a very, very good title for playing without purpose. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, when you do have... Uh nice evening to sit back and play games are there certain snacks or drinks or anything that you like to surround yourself with i've got a child's palate so i'm a (laughs) a real fiend for sweets so yeah bag of tang fastics tube of pringles and i'll be set there (laughs) what what flavor pringles would you go for salt and vinegar but i know they give me ulcers (laughs) and it's one of those like this is gonna hurt in a couple of days time as a result of these action but i'm still going to do it i'll still get myself through a tube of salt and vinegar pringles it's, like it's no worth tomorrow. paying that price it's worth yeah. the pain <laughs> <laughs> and uh final question if you could only play one more game for the rest of your life what would it be and why well it would be football manager because <laughs> i could play it for the rest of my life <laughs> it's never going to end i suppose that's the obvious answer if i'm not allowed to say football manager i don't think i'll ever get tired of replaying final fantasy 7 just the idiosyncrasies of that game and the music and, you know, the nostalgia. And I still find it an extremely compelling gameplay experience as well from that turn-based combat. So, yeah, I could see myself going back and back and back to that. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk Thanks to us. Thanks for having me. It's a good chat. And, yeah, good luck with, uh, with the launch very soon. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing.